It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today, Bengals fans, we will talk about the Bengals that were included on the PFF Top 101 Players from the last decade, and there are some Bengals on this list that have good Hall of Fame chances, and that's really exciting for an organization that only has one Hall of Famer in their history. After we get through that conversation, it's time for the mailbag. It's always my favorite show, James, because the listeners just provide the the content ideas for us and then we just have to answer questions it's it's the lowest effort piece of work for us and you know what else is low effort james is eating a built bar to get your protein macros this episode brought to you by built bar without further ado let's talk about this pff top 101 and the debate going on on twitter about whether geno atkins or andrew whitworth should be higher on this list james 38 for aj green in the list of top 101 players in the 2010s, followed by Geno Atkins at 31, Andrew Whitworth at 21. There are some Bengals fans that are upset that AJ is at 38. I think that's probably pretty fair for him with the injuries he's had, but let's talk about his placement before we get into the Geno versus Whitworth debate that was going on on Twitter today. It sucks, because right now, as, as great as AJ Green has been, we're thinking about what could have been. And that's why the, the next couple of years are going to be so crucial to, to A.J. Green's legacy is can he build and put together a nice second half of his career because the injuries have derailed what was potentially a Hall of Fame career. And he starts out with the seven straight Pro Bowls, first wide receiver in NFL history to do so. And I get it. Pro Bowls are devalued. But that's still he's the first guy ever to do that. And uh, we know how valuable he was to Andy Dalton and valuable he was from 2011 to 2015 for this offense when he wasn't out there the offense was not the same wasn't even close to the same and uh he's a big reason why i think andy dalton got a second contract because he made his life so much easier during his first couple of years in the league so green was was elite and and i I think it'll be interesting to see if he can be elite again this season and moving forward and matt minnick had a great tweet about this the other day since drafting aj green the bengals have won 58 percent of their games with him on the field and just 25 percent of their games when he did not play so you know he's making the comparison here to franchise quarterback that was aj green for the bengals the difference in winning percentage 20 no 33 percent that's a significant difference for a wide receiver Pro Football Focus points out in their list that AJ, if you put the threshold for snaps high enough, was the most productive on a per snap basis besides Julio Jones and Antonio Brown in the entire decade. 
incredibly productive, robbed of the last year and a half of his, toward the end of his prime, you could say. I hope that he has a very productive flourish to finish his career, goes out the way Reggie Wayne did. We talked about it with Andrew Luck. But let's continue and talk about the Geno versus Whitworth thing because both guys, absolute all-stars, the peak of their position at different times. Geno more undisputedly so than Andrew Whitworth, but that's just because Jason Peters and Joe Thomas exist. That's part of it for sure. And to me, the debate is six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. You'd take either guy and you'd love it and you'd want to have them uh, for the rest of their career. If I had to pick one, I'm picking the left tackle. I'm picking the guy that's played in at least 14 games. He's played in and started at least 14 games since 2009. And I get it. Gino's been almost as durable, but that's insane for a a left tackle. We talk about the importance uh, to Andy Dalton. I don't know if anyone was more important uh, to Andy Dalton besides A.J. Green and Andrew Whitworth. Those two guys made Andy's life a lot easier, especially in the early part of the decade. So I would go with Andrew. But that that has nothing to do with Geno Atkins or anything Geno could have done. I think he's been uh, as great as you could have asked him to. You know, he had that ACL in the early part of the decade and overcame that and got back to an elite level. And he played the most snaps of his career last year, which is is something that uh, tired him out probably a little bit. But we'll, we'll see how the Bengals use him. But obviously, he's still an elite player going into the season. Yeah, the only guy that was really better than Geno at that position consistently since he came into the league, of course, is Aaron Donald, who's a freak. He He's the freak that Geno was when he came into the league, except Donald's had a little bit better injury luck. I guess you could say he also had the privilege of playing next to Ndamukong Sue, who's better than any interior defensive lineman that Geno's ever played beside. But the, the stat I like from PFF here is Geno's 577 pressures in the last 10 seasons is 68 more than the next guy on the list. That's a 10% gap for interior defensive line. That's absolutely massive. And then you look at uh, Andrew Whitworth. He's the best pass blocker of the decade. Literally the lowest pressure allowed rate for the entire decade. The argument that puts Thomas ahead of Whitworth for PFF is that Whitworth had a little bit more around him. And, And Thomas was on these terrible teams with bad offensive lines, bad offenses, For a few of those years, the Bengals had a really good offensive line. The Bengals had a really good offense. So they say that Thomas's productivity holds up more under scrutiny, but you're really splitting hairs at that point. And if Andrew Whitworth doesn't get into the Hall of Fame, man, I just don't know what Canton is doing anymore. I'm with you. And actually, I look at Andrew Whitworth and one of the the things when you talk about his Hall of Fame credentials, it's going to be longevity. That's something I, I get it. Joe Thomas was great. But he isn't going to have played nearly as many years as Andrew Whitworth. Whitworth was a big reason why the Rams went to the Super Bowl. They were NFC champions in 2018. He completely helped them turn their organization around when he signed there as a free agent. And uh, he's going to be playing for the next couple of years, at least the next two. He signed a three-year deal. There's an out after the 2021 season. But I think Whitworth just continues to rack up starts, rack up uh, high-quality play. I think he could certainly get into the Hall of Fame and then Geno Atkins, it's wild to, to look at how consistent he's been. And you mentioned interior linemen around him. I wonder what this, the second half almost, and I know it's not really the second half, but this next phase of Geno Atkins' career is going to be with a guy like DJ Reader next to him. He's got a chance to be really productive with a young guy like Reader uh, right next to him in the, on the defensive line. 
and it's not just that Reader's young, right? It's also that he's incredibly good. Sure. Gino also was just named to the All-Decade team. And we've talked about this before on the podcast. Guys that are named to the All-Decade team nearly 100%, if not 100% of the time, get into the Hall of Fame. You can all but write it in pen. You could probably write it in pen. They make erasable <laughs> pens now, just in case. But maybe keep the Sharpie put away for a couple of years. But he's going to the Hall. And and we can all look forward to that as Bengals fans. And in my lifetime, James, I don't remember when Anthony Munoz went in. Do you remember when Anthony Munoz went in? I don't. I don't. So this this will be the first time, barring something completely unforeseen, uh, that, that we see a Bengal go in. And, and who knows with Witt? Does Witt go in as a Bengal? If he gets yeah. in, obviously Atkins will. Yeah, I think I think he does. I mean, I I mean so. he spent all but what? Well, I guess he's still under contract. I was going to say all but three, but he's just signed another deal. So we'll see how it long could he be plays, five or I guess. Six. Yeah, it could be five or six years. Man, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> that would suck. That would suck, wouldn't it? If he goes I, in as a Ram because it's wouldn't. six years and – he would. What if what if they make multiple playoff runs? It, it, know, would, it would have to be it would have to be a Super Bowl win. That's the only way. But even then, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't think that'll happen. Just just looking at what the Rams, yeah. what they've done in their cap situation, I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl. But you never know. I, here's the the fun part: is talking about these players that have played at such a high level, and I don't think any of them are done. I, you know, I think we could still see them sustain this for the next couple of years at least so it's going to be interesting to see the next phase of their career the marvels of modern medicine speaking of marvels james this episode brought to the people by built bar we can offer you ten dollars off of your built bar orders on builtbar.com right now using promo code locked on and why i call it a modern marvel is that it's james's favorite protein bar and they do it without sugar and and it still tastes good somehow I guarantee, and I don't know this for a fact, but I bet you Andrew Whitworth and Geno Atkins and AJ Green, I bet you they're big Built Bar fans. I bet you after their workouts, they're, they're eating Built Bars and they're doing it to keep their to stay within their macros and to stay in shape during quarantine. So why not be like them and uh, go to BuiltBar.com and, and like Jake said, you can get 10 bucks off your order. And if you don't want to be like them, be like us and, and eat Built Bar here on Locked on Bengals. How much, what, what can I bet you for that? Can we can we put a wager down that that Geno Atkins, AJ Green, and Andrew Whitworth eat built bars? I think I they have some. Wager. I think oh, they I have some bougier stuff, you know. You think so? I don't know, man. Built bar. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they're eating built bars. This is high quality stuff, Jake. I, I know. I'm just saying. If if I had like forty million dollars, I would have custom made protein bars. Actually, I would just eat food. I would just hire people to make me actual food. That's what I would do. That tangent aside, it is time for the mailbag. We'll get into that next. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's keep things rolling here on the Locked On Bengals Podcast. It's time for our weekly mailbag segment where you chime in with your questions. We answer them. Make sure you follow us at Locked On Bengals on Twitter and chime in every week. Let's start with Captain Obvious, at Bengals Captain on Twitter, says, 
Have you ever talked about the quiet nature of most of the stars on recent Bengals teams and what the talk about Burrow, along with his own fire, might bring to that dynamic? Jake, your thoughts on this question? Yeah, we're already seeing it, right? We're seeing that the national media, there's a national following for Joe Burrow because of what he did in college and the way he did it, because of the way he conducted himself off the field, because of that victory cigar, because of the big dick Joe jokes. Sorry, mom. The the charisma is is something that, and we've said this several times, the Bengals haven't had since they had Chad Johnson on the team. They haven't had a guy that would attract that kind of attention nationally. And, and outside of just that, when's the last time the Bengals had a leader like this in the locker room that was going to get guys together, that was going to get people to put extra work in, that was going to inspire guys to greatness? I mean, you could say maybe Andrew Whitworth had, had that kind of impact when he was around. We just talked about him a lot. He was the guy that helped organize stuff for Andy Dalton back in the day. I, 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 maybe, I don't know. This would have been a good question. I, I should have asked Willie Anderson when, when we talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Who who were the vocal leaders when you were on the team? Because the Bengals have this long history of underspoken or soft-spoken stars. Who's the last guy, James? You've, you've been in that locker room more than I have. Probably Chad Johnson. I think Joe Mixon has that quality, but part of this is your position, right? Running back, it's hard. Even Andrew Whitworth, it, it's hard because you're the left tackle. You're an offensive lineman. And even though you can be the spokesperson, you can only inspire so much. And so you're right, and this is a really good point, and I think this is why fans should be extremely excited about Joe Burrow. As accurate as he is, as all the physical abilities, this dude wants to win, and he's willing to do anything and everything to win. And when you're the quarterback and you have that mindset, that's the same trait that Russell Wilson and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and all these guys have. I'm not saying Joe Burrow is that or is going to be that. But he has that trait, and that's something they all have in common. So how does that rub off on the team and the organization? Well, I think it goes a long ways, right? You're not going to have Joe Burrow tapping out seven years into his Bengals career because he's had an injury or, or things like that. And I'm talking about Carson Palmer there. You're not going to have a a passive quarterback like Andy Dalton. He's just different. And, and I think that that combined with all of his physical abilities, as long as the Bengals do right by him and, and they've put talent around him, as long as they continue to do that, I think he could take them to new heights. You know, that only it'll take some time to see. But as far as what Burrow brings, he brings an it factor that we talk about with a lot of these quarterbacks. But it's true with him. And I think it's going to rub off on the Bengals locker room in 2020 and beyond. Yeah, what we got to see next year is they got to start building that wall. You ever play Bastion? It's a great little mobile game. You can play it on your phone. You can play it. I think it's on a computer now, too. There's a song in Bastion, which has one of the best original soundtracks of any video game I've ever played called Build That Wall. Great song. The Bengals got to do that for Joe Burrow starting next year. Next question, though, comes from Ben Grant, a Canadian guy, James. You're getting to know our regulars. Ben is one of them. <laughs> He covers the, I learned yesterday, Toronto Argonauts. I learned where the Argos are from, Ben, just for you. He says, 11 personnel makes sense in empty sets as a general rule. Given the Bengals roster, however, who would you like to see on the field in empty sets as Coach Taylor borrows some plays from the LSU playbook? The combinations are, are sort of endless. I, I think it's going to be fun. And if you're Zach Taylor and you're Brian Callahan, you got to be excited about adding a T Higgins and, and getting him in there with everybody else. I mean, you, you could see 
Joe Mixon, certainly get involved in a multitude of ways. Giovanni Bernard, certainly capable. Uh, I think uh, the interesting dynamic here, when you look at the wide receivers, though, is how they're going to use these guys. The, the night that they drafted C. Higgins, Zach Taylor mentioned how they're going to try to almost be more efficient with the wide receiver snaps and, and try to make sure that they're getting the most out of these guys. So I think you're going to see a bunch of combinations. I think you're going to see five different wide receivers, and I'll name them A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, T. Higgins, and then Auden Tate. Not all out on the field at the same time, but a lot of some of these guys are inter- interchangeable to a degree. So I think that they're going to get creative. Mixon will be in that uh, as well. Drew Sample will certainly be in that. C.J. Uzama. So they have about eight or nine guys that they can use in a bunch of different ways. And, and it's going to be really interesting to see what Zach Taylor and Callahan decide to do. Yeah. So just for those of you that are new to the podcast, I'm going to quickly remind everybody what 11 personnel means. The first number in that two digit number is the number of running backs on the field. The second number is the number of tight ends on the field. So 11 means one running back, one tight end. If they were to run Geo and Mixon out there, that'd be 20 personnel. If they were to run Geo sample and CJ Uzama out there, that would be 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. So that's what we mean when we say 11, 12, 20, whatever we talk about, I expect Ben that the Bengals will mostly stay in 11. And I think that you're going to see three receivers, probably Uzama split out more than Drew Sample, although the coaches insist that they were going to start using Drew Sample more (laughs) in the second half of the season. And this is a way, and I think somebody else asked about this. This is a way that you get Joe Mixon more involved in the passing game because he has all the capability to succeed out wide. This is a good way to do it. I'm with you. I think that you, if you do that, you can get him up against a linebacker, against a, a potentially a, a safety or small corner, and you put Mixon in a position to succeed. All right, let's uh, keep things rolling with the mailbag. Jake and Kyle says, which new player not named Joe Burrow makes the biggest impact in 2020? Yeah, I my, my, my gut instinct is just to answer this with the best player they acquired, and that's DJ Reader. I have a lot of confidence in Reader coming in and making a big impact on this run defense. But the other answer could be collect. Well, you're asking for one guy. Mm-hmm. And since you're asking for one guy, it, it's, it's yeah, it's definitely DJ Reader, 100%. DJ Reader comes in, reshapes the way that teams have to approach blocking this offensive line, especially on the interior he will command double teams. He will beat double teams and should generally keep linebackers a lot cleaner at the second level. Because if you do try to double team him, you're you're not getting off him. You're not getting to your second assignment off that chip. He, he's going to control you. And so I think that in this division in particular, the way that all three of these teams want to run the ball, DJ Reader by far is the biggest impact. And, and I'm talking about a nose tackle. How crazy is that? I'm with you. I'm with you. It's DJ Reader. But since you already broke that down, I'll say second. I'll go to the, the second one. And I think Von Bell is going to have a big impact because I, I think he helps in a multitude of areas the same way Reader does, right? What Reader's presence helps the linebackers. Well, I think Von Bell helps Jesse Bates a lot. I think he's going to help uh, really everyone in that, that second and third level of the defense because he can move around because of his ability to make tackles and, and force turnovers and just be in the in the right place at the right time and around the ball. So I think Von Bell is another guy that's going to have a big impact right away and fits really well in this division. And I, I'm so much more skeptical of Von Bell than I feel like most of the fan base is. I, I just, 
have a hard time seeing the significant improvement over most of what we've seen from Sean Williams in his career. So it'll be something that we watch. I, I hope, I hope so certainly that he is a better player than Sean Williams has been. I know he's graded really well in run defense for PFF and, and Sean Williams is coming off his worst year. So there is reason to, to think that for sure. I see where you're coming from there. I just, um, kind of in a I need to see it to believe it kind of spot right now. I would say the next guy for me might be one of these other rookies if it's uh you know Logan Wilson being a guy that can step in and be a linebacker, but th- I think that there are a lot of answers after DJ Reader that are pretty defensible and I think that Von Bell can certainly be one of them. Our next question comes from David Brooks. This is a very popular question today. A, a hot story, James. And, and you have more connections to Cleveland than the people in Cincinnati do. But what do you make of James Harrison implying that Mike Tomlin paid him for that hit on Muhammad Masakwa? Whew. Sometimes you shouldn't speak. I, I don't know what James is thinking. Debo. Dropping this. Bengals legend, James Harrison. Uh, he had a whopping, I think, 13 tackles during that year in, in 2013. No, I, I'm, uh, I'm surprised he came out and said this. But it's, it is the reality. Like, NFL teams, and I'm not going to say it's Bounty Gate, but NFL teams make bets and players make bets with each other. It is kind of funny, though, that it's Mike Tomlin doing it. Maybe he was in in on it. Uh, will the NFL investigate this? Probably not. And if they do, I think the Steelers would weasel themselves out of it because there is no proof. It was a long time ago. It was more than a decade ago, I believe. So I, I just I think it's something we're going to react to, especially now. And there's going to be a strong reaction in Cleveland, like you mentioned, and there has been. But as far as the Steelers getting in trouble, maybe the league investigates it. But I, I don't think it'll be uh, anything else besides a, a tweet that gets sent out or a report that comes out a couple of uh, months down the line that says that they, they haven't found anything in their investigation. You remember when that one guy, Mike Munchak, pulled Reggie Nelson's hair and then yep. – and then there was a fine, and then he appealed it, and then they're like, "Oh no, you're good, man. You, you, you should, <laughs> you know, we take that fine back. You're, you're cool. I mean, this is what happens to the Steelers." And in the immortal words of Joe Goodberry, "Cover your kids' ears. Fuck the Steelers." We'll be right back with the remainder of the mailbag. <laughs> Stick around, and we'll get into the rest of your questions. Hey guys, it's Joe Marino. Being around sports media and a fan of the Buffalo Bills for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line, or could a coin flip have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, and new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to alternate routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Let's keep things rolling with our weekly mailbag here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. And our next question is from I'm gonna I'm gonna call him what he what he goes by on Twitter, Sean Cena. 
maybe related to John Cena. He asks, is there any correlation, Jake, between the preseason strength of schedule and the strength of schedule at the end of the season? Uh, no. I think I think you asked this in a stream one day this week. You came and hung out in Twitch while I was streaming, and we looked at this. I, I've got I've got last year's preseason strength of schedule, and then you just look at the standings for what the strength of schedule was at the end of the year. So the Cincinnati Bengals last year, just to start with the team that we all care about, were tied for 27th for the hardest schedule in the league. So they had the second easiest schedule in the league. So there's five teams tied for 27th, and then, and then there was 32. There's no gap there. So they and five other teams have the second easiest schedules in the league but in, in front of Washington. You look at the end of the season, the Cincinnati Bengals finished with the hardest schedule in the NFL. They go from a preseason strength of schedule of 573 which is based on the win-loss record of their opponents a year prior. They finished the year with an opponent win-loss record, 5.53. So they jump by about 8% from beginning to end of year, going from one of the easiest to the hardest. The other team on that list, Washington, that had the easiest schedule in the league, ended up about league average. Their opponents had a strength of schedule 200, or 502 by the end of the year. You look at the teams that had the hardest schedule in the preseason, Oakland and Denver, 539-537. They finished the season with for for Denver, 510, for Oakland, 482. So really, not much consistency from preseason to postseason strength of schedule. It gets published every year. We talk about it every year. But, I mean, just looking at those examples, just looking at last year, if there is a correlation, it is very small. I'm not doing like a regression analysis on this or anything, but just looking at those numbers, you can see there's a dramatic disparity there. Way to kill the Bengals have an easy schedule, so they're going to win a bunch of games this year, bet that I was going to do. Don't don't they actually have one of the hardest strengths of schedules in the league? It, it, it depends on what you look at. Yeah, if you look at like win totals in, in, from Vegas, then yes, it, it is one of the harder strength of schedules. So it, it depends on what you look at. If you look at last year's record, it's lower from what I've seen. So it's uh, lower as in a, an easier schedule. But uh, yeah, it, it really just depends on the divisions you're playing. And, and again, the NFC East was was bad last year. The Browns record was bad last year. Like there are certain things that just happen that probably won't happen again. And, and right. I, I think that that's part of it. There you go. Preseason strength of schedules don't mean anything is, is what we've learned. So good for us. We've all learned something today. But James, let's move on to our next question comes from Nick Green. How do you personally feel about starting the NFL season and other pro sports in general on time with or without fans in the stands? I heard someone mention maybe a partially filled stadium as well. James, today I read something that said Fox Sports was going to pump in fake crowd noise. Let's not dwell on this for too long because, and I've said this before, I know some people are listening to the podcast to escape what's happening in the real world, but what's your opinion here? I just want sports. So if if that means you have to take the necessary precautions to keep the athletes safe where no one can go to games, then then fine. But I, I think that there's you got to take the precautions. Obviously, the best case scenario is fans being able to go or a half full stadium at least and having some kind of fans in attendance. But I get it. Like, is it realistic to expect in three months people are going to want to pack Paul Brown Stadium? Probably not. And if so, it's going to look a little different than we remember in the past. So whatever it takes 
to get sports back. I think that's where we all are. That's where I am. And then we'll just kind of roll with it from there. And that, that includes me from a media perspective. Who knows if I'll be allowed to attend games and cover games, go in the locker room. I'm not sure. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. But I'm just hoping for sports to return this year. I think it's going to depend a lot on the progress that we have with testing protocols. If they can develop a test that doesn't go up your nose, that is relatively immediate in terms of responsiveness, well, then you can, if you get a point of care test where you can check the players, you can say, okay, you can play, you can't play. And, you know, you can practice, you can't practice. But when Dr. Fauci said that, you know, football is a perfect way for this disease to be transmitted, that, that did concern me. But the NFL continues to march on as if there will be a season. Zach Taylor continues to prepare as if there will be a season. And so until we hear otherwise, I think that's the way the NFL is going to try to go. I, I'm with you. I think they're going to do everything they can. Right. The NFL is powerful. I think they're going to develop testing and and take the necessary protocols and do what they need to do on the back end behind the scenes so that there can be a season. And uh, hopefully, I think we're all hoping that there will be. All right, let's keep things rolling. Uh, Jake Don says, do you think the Bengals are setting up for a repeat of Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu next year? If either Ross or Green proves that they're back and healthy, won't the Bengals be priced out of signing either of them again next offseason? There are some pretty significant differences, I think, in this compared to the Mohamed Sanu Marvin Jones departure. The only one of these guys that would be leaving after their first deal would be John Ross. And that would be not because the Bengals didn't want him back, but because they've chosen to move on. Marvin Jones, the Bengals wanted to bring back and they failed to do so. I, I think there's probably some argument that they were interested in bringing Sanu back less so than Jones, but they they let themselves get behind the eight ball. This time, instead, what they've done is they've built their wide receiver room. They feel good about Tyler Boyd. They just drafted T. Higgins. So I think the Higgins pick is their insurance policy here. And, and I don't think we should expect, unless A.J. Green signs a preseason extension, necessarily that either of these guys are going to be back. Ross is as good as gone. I don't think... And, and I would love to be corrected on this because I haven't looked, but I can't recall anybody who had their fifth-year option declined and then came, came back, went back to that team that drafted them. I can't think of any either, at least not on the, the top of my head. Now, Ross is a unique situation, but you're right. The, the difference between 2015 and going into that offseason and now is T. Higgins. The Bengals neglected the wide receiver position in the 2015 draft, right? Because they went after Cedric Oboehi and Jake Fisher back-to-back rounds. Tyler Lockett should have been the pick in round two, and then they wouldn't have been so desperate uh, the next year when those guys left. So I think that's the difference here is they drafted T. Higgins. They obviously have Tyler Boyd under contract long-term. In a perfect world, yeah, they would they would keep green, and I think that's what they're preparing for. But if not, they still have other guys that they're going to believe in and young guys that are going to be under team control for the next couple of years. And for me, that's such a sentimental thing. I just want to be clear about this. The smart move from an organization perspective for the Bengals is to let Joe Mixon and AJ Green walk. And and that sucks. As a fan, that sucks. And that's why I'm not really in favor of it. But from a team building perspective, sinking money into an aging, injured receiver, if you want to look at it as negatively as possible, which is, I'm sure, what you have to do when you're building a roster 
you're looking at it in that risk assessment lens, that doesn't make sense. It's never made sense for anyone ever to pay, a, well, not ever, but in the last few years to pay a running back. So two very hard decisions where my brain from a team building roster building perspective and my heart say very different things. Last question, James. Austin R. asks, what are your favorite breweries in Cleveland and how do they compare to the awesome ones in Cincinnati? And then he's asking me, does Canada have a craft beer scene? Are there any good local regional breweries around where I live that I would recommend? James, I'll let you go first. Cleveland has awesome breweries. They do. I think I live downtown, so I got to experience multiple different ones that are in the area. Collision Bend is a good one in the flats right on the water. Great view, great atmosphere, good outdoor patio. I love going there. Butcher and Brewers on East 4th. If you're making the Thursday night trip, that's another place that I love. So I think that the the beer scene in Ohio is awesome. And one of the comforting things when I moved to Cleveland in December, when it's cold, when it's windy during that December 2018, it was that I went to Target to get some stuff for the apartment and Rheingeist was there and Mad Tree was there. And I haven't even mentioned Great Lakes in those that are from Cincinnati or in Cincinnati. You've probably had Great Lakes, right? The Christmas Ale or one of their beers. That's up here about five minutes from downtown Cleveland. So there there are so many different uh, breweries and great breweries in both cities. So, yes, they compare. I'm not going to tell you which one's better because I'm not sure. They're both different. I love both. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, one thing's for sure. If you're in Cleveland or you're in Cincinnati and you like beer, you're going to be able to find some good beer in both cities. That's that German influence, right? Uh, Canada, <laughs> right. not so much German influence, but I think like all of North America has a craft beer scene. There are definitely breweries that people love around here. In the town I live in, which has a metro population of about 100,000 people, there are probably four or five breweries just in this town alone. And on the island I live on, more broadly, there, there are a few more. I know that all of my friends love to drink locally, Whenever they can. I don't drink much beer, though, James. Our listeners that have been around for a while know that. Uh, So for me, uh, and this is going to be, maybe I shouldn't say it. We're going to lose followers. I don't don't like the taste of beer. Uh, So (laughs) if if the beer tastes like water, then I'm happy. (laughs) So, you know. Oh, come on, Jake. It's just not my, you know. So are you a liquor? You drink liquor? I I just don't really drink. You know, okay. it's, oh, it's, that's fine. That's fair. It's, it's, it's just like a choice. It's not like a, a thing or anything. It's just like, I don't really like it. It makes me feel bad. So uh, I counteract my drinking because obviously it's awful for you. Like I'm not going to say it's not built bars. I mean, with that's it. Bars. So for every beer I have or every <laughs> alcoholic beverage, you have a built bar and you work out and it's, it's almost like Chad Johnson with McDonald's, right? Like I, I get past the alcohol that I drink on the weekends and craft brews with uh, a built bar and a, a workout. The the best player on my college intramural softball team was was we always had to drag him out of bed because he was hungover, and he would he would literally smoke a cigarette in the middle of the game. And there was one day we were between innings. He lays down at shortstop because even in his hungover state, he's the best fielder, best hitter we had on the team. And he uh, was was smoking his cigarette, laying down in the grass and. Someone on the other team's like, is he is he okay? It's like, yeah, no, it's just it's just Sunday morning or whatever stupid time he played. We didn't have a very good time slot, so that's that's my story about uh, 
beer and working out, I guess. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown <laughs> Bengals podcast. I need a beer. James is going to go have a beer. Enjoy your weekend. We'll be back on Monday, Sunday night. No more crossovers next week. Uh, strict, unfiltered, James and Jake, Bengals takes all week. And last thing I'll mention before we go, I did go on the Locked On NFL podcast with Matt Williamson and Brian Peacock yesterday, May 13th. Go check that out for 30 minutes of just me talking about the Bengals with those guys on Locked On NFL. Until next week, Bengals fans, have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.